From the headquarters of Team Cowboy, coming to you all the way from Anderson, South Carolina, this is the Finance Cowboy Show, where we're going to teach you how you can create your dream life through the greatest asset in the world, real estate. I'm your host, Jaron Sustar, and I went from having zero properties in 2018 to a portfolio of over $5 million worth of real estate by 2021. And I am excited to be able to teach you all the lessons, tips, and tricks that I have learned throughout my journey, while also introducing you to some of the greatest real estate minds in this entire world. So without further ado, let's get this party started. All right, I'm here with Shannon Robnett. What's up, Shannon? How are you doing, man? Hey, good, man. Yourself? Glad to be here. Hey, I am uh, I am stoked to have you. Um, we were just talking about the social media. I was like, man, you're crushing on social media. Uh, here's a plug. Your Instagram name is at Shannon Ray Robnett. Did I pronounce that right? Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah. Right. Mine gets butchered all the time, so I don't want to – I hate when I butcher other people's. <laughs> right. Uh, but you were like, yeah, I got other people who are doing great for me on that. And I was like, yeah. I totally understand it because yeah. it is yeah. a necessity in today's age to have a brand on social media. You have to. But man, oh man, the work and time that can go into it. If if you're not careful, you can get carried away with it and then you can forget about other parts of your business. Well, and you know, that's true. And there's there's certain places to apply the leverage and there's certain places not to. And, you know, I could write a book that would be probably 100% the opposite of uh, what Alex Hermosi says, because I can show you all the ways not to do it. Right. Um, I'm one of those guys that everything I've learned, uh, I've taken a nod or two on the head for. And, um, you know, there's ways that social media can really enhance your business. And then there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there you can just waste time on. Mm. Yeah, that's spot on. Well, our listeners are in for a treat. And I really appreciate you time taking time out of your day to be on the show with me. Shannon's been in real estate 30 years now. Um, so he is he's been doing real estate longer than a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and maybe have even been alive. So you need to <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> I don't say that to make you feel old. <laughs> you could have said that a lot of different ways, but <laughs> oh, man. no, I say it to prove prove the point. Like, listen up, because he's gonna have a lot of nuggets that you guys can take away and you know help you on your journey to, like he just said, avoid some of the roadblocks and headaches. Yeah that he's encountered over time. So you are a big syndicator now. You do multifamily homes, industrial. But like we were talking before the show started, that's not where 99% of people start, nor is it where you started. So how did you get your feet wet in the game? You've been doing it a long time. What's that progression look like? Because a lot of people that listen to this podcast and that are in my world are newer, like where they're trying to burn properties, trying to scale a portfolio. Um, and I think sometimes you look at other people and you're like, man, they're just crushing it. You know, it must be so nice. Yeah. But they don't realize there was a journey for that person too. Yeah. Well, my journey uh, started in real estate when a doctor spanked me when I was first born. I was born to a uh, a developer, builder father and a third generation realtor mother. And I grew up at the kitchen table, literally, you've all read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I grew up at that table with Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a concept, honestly, as to what I was ingesting as far as the conversation going along. It was one of those that started, I started to have an aha moment starting at about 19 when I started to see how the world really happened. And based on the fact that I'd already heard this at, at the dinner table, it was one of those, one of those things that as much as I grew up in the business, I still had to learn 
from my own mistakes and I had to still do things my way. And I started out building single family homes. I quickly realized I didn't like homeowners. They were, you know, everything was personal with them. Uh, And so I got into commercial buildings and I built police stations. I built hospitals. I built schools, gymnasiums, athletic facilities. Uh, You know, you name it, I've done it. And I've done about $450 million worth of uh, construction. And I began to see in 2001 when my parents retired on cash flow and they had built this real estate portfolio alongside their, their daily work in the business and they were able to retire. And here they are 22 years later, still living the same lifestyle because rents have gone up also. And I began to really focus on that journey as well as, I mean, I was making my daily bread with, with building buildings. But I, I built my first industrial complex in 2001. Two of the original tenants are still in the buildings. Um, and, th- and those products have continued to produce income this whole time. And I, I saw how you could build that portfolio. And so I continued to do that. And as I found a deal here and a deal there, I would search out individual partners. I would find a guy that had maybe a half a million bucks or a million bucks, but didn't have any time. I'd get them to partner with me. I'd do all the work. We'd split up the, you know, the profits at the end of the job. And that seemed to be going well. But as that happened, my deal size kept growing. And my last deal that I did with just a single partner group was, uh, was a 180 unit apartment complex. And it was a big stretch for me, and I was able to tap into a family office uh, where I knew a couple of the guys there, and they wrote a $19 million check, right? Uh, and, and I realized at that point I had to diversify where I was getting my funds yeah. because there was the world is a pyramid, and there's not a lot of guys running around with the ability to write or the desire to write, for that matter, a $19 million check to me. And so from there, I began the journey through syndication and different different nuances and how we do that now and 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 so far to date uh, that started at about 19 and so far to date we've raised about 63 64 million dollars in in other people's money that have that we put to work in various projects uh, over the last 3 years man what a powerful story and it's amazing to see that progression um because i had the opportunity to interview a lot of folks on the finance cowboys show and there is a progression that pretty much has to take place to get you to that point to where all right, I can pretty much go raise capital from anywhere and start doing these large deals. But you, it's very hard to do that without experience. Right. It's very tough to raise $64 million if you said, you know, I've never raised 150 to do a single right. family home or multifamily project. But, you know, a lot of that is based on resume, you know, and we've seen I've seen in my world, there's been a, there's been syndicators that have hit the scene. They've got a great network. They're connected into Silicon Valley or whatever, and they're able to raise fabulous amounts of capital. But the experience that you're talking about is not there. Right. Yeah. And so as much as I I hate that it took me 30 years to get here, I'm very grateful that it took me 30 years to get here, because now that I have the ability to raise the capital. I have the track record and I have the knowledge to go with that so that I'm not sitting here with money, other people's money, which is, in my opinion, more valuable than my own yeah. uh, and doing bad deals. Right. And so there's a maturing that comes in there. And it's 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 not that hard of a process, especially if you look at it, that everything you're doing today is the interview for what you want to do tomorrow. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. And it's important from the other side of the aisle as well. If you're going to invest in syndications or real estate, yeah. funds, you need to look at that resume. 
Absolutely. What has this person done? How many deals have they done? What types of properties have they bought? Are they value add? Whatever the case may be, right. look at the full scope of work. Because like you mentioned, a lot of people, yeah, they know people with big pockets, but if they don't understand how to manage a project, you could lose an investment very, very, very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, you watch people even in, you know, even in the Burr strategy, right? Uh, when, when they start out, okay, they get a light remodel, right? Or, or they grab the first one that's a heavy lift and they never do that again, right? <laughs> but but it's, it's about what did you learn? You know, yeah. every time we get done with a job, we always do a postmortem. We always break it down and go, okay, what could we have done better? What mm. could we have improved on? What do we need to add to our team to be more efficient at this next time? And just because you've done value add doesn't mean you're going to be great at ground up development and vice versa. I know some guys out there that are absolutely killing it on the value add. And they've got a team that shows up like a swarm of bees and they take care of stuff. And I look at that and I go, man, I don't have that, but they've got a different team built. And that's why I don't do a lot of value add in that capacity because of those exact reasons. I love it. And I love that you're 30 years into this and you're still looking at the end of every project and you're saying, how do we get better? And well, you have to, right? I mean, look, if you look at how easy it is to do a deal today versus how easy it was to do a deal three years ago, you have to have improved your skills because anybody could have done a deal in 20, right? I mean, there was money everywhere. There was deals everywhere, you know, and now we're sitting here and, and you've really got to hone your skills because you've got to trim that budget right? You've got to cut that timeline. You've got to raise more capital. You've got to uh, pay a higher interest cost. So you've got to shorten your timeline from the time you take it till the time you get the tenant in it, because it's going to be twice as expensive if you don't. And those are the kind of things that, you know, in my opinion, it's times like these, which to me, this is a very normal market, but because of the big swing from where we were two and a half years ago, this is not the kind of market that a lot of people love. But this is the kind of market where everybody that stays has learned a ton. And it's one of those that you're not learning the fun lessons that we were two, three years ago. We're learning the lessons that will help you survive in any condition. These are the lessons we're going to be learning for the next couple of years. Have you seen anything like this over the last 30 years? What's like the current market conditions closest to previous times for you? Because everybody's freaking freaking out about the rates. I mean, that's everybody's (laughs) biggest holdup. Well, and it drives me insane because I'm still yeah. buying left and right nonstop. But right. some people, they just they can't get past it. Right. And so, you know, when you're looking at real estate is a long lens perspective. You have to look back at what's been going on for the last 20 years. To give you reference, when I did my first deal in, in 01, I did it at 9%, right? That was my construction money at the time, right? So So these are very normal rates to me. And what, what happens is a deal has to work under these kinds of conditions. Now, we've had a, a, a record uh, amount of interest rate hikes, uh, you know, in 23, right? But we also had catastrophic problems in 08. We had, we had ripple effects from the dot-com bubble burst in, I believe that was uh, 2000 or 99 or one of those, right? So you've always got to be prepared. And like you do... If a deal works today, it'll it needs to work tomorrow. And what happens today, there has to be not only you know your 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 plan, but there's got to be a 
Plan B, C, I recommend through about J, right? I mean, get all the way down there where you where you look at it and go, you know, we've got a deal right now that we bought as a 24-month project that we're in month 33 on, and we've completely changed our plan. But because when we purchased it two years ago, we underwrote it for conditions such as this, we had room that we didn't have to panic when rents were coming in fine. You know, this is a project where we executed our business plan absolutely perfectly. But cap rates have changed. Lending parameters have changed, right? And we're still in a position where we're not having to drag a bunch more capital to the table because we understood what that could look like and forecast that. And it means it, it means that you're still doing deals today. You, there's a lot less people trying to do the same deal as you. Uh, and there's, and, and you've got to be sharper on your pencil because what could have maybe probably fit into a contingency category 12 months ago has to be exact numbers now. I love that. That's spot on. Do you think there's going to be, and maybe there already is in the larger commercial space, for lack of better terms, a bloodbath for people who did not account for A through J contingencies in the last three to four years leading up to this? We are already starting to see uh, some repricing that is that is significant, um, and it has to do with deals that I probably wouldn't have done anyway. Um, that you know, tertiary markets. Um, you know, I'm looking at a deal right now that uh, it's a it's a large apartment complex in a smaller college town, great market, uh, but they're looking to sell it at at about. $90,000 a door less than they built it for. Right. And when I look at it, the underwriting that they're putting out on it now is exactly the way I would have underwrote it. And I would have walked away from the deal then because I would have realized the disparity between costs and value. People just but get greedy. That, is that what happened? They just got you greedy. Know, you, you can piss uh, pencil whip your spreadsheet and make it tell you anything you want. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can sit there and, you know, grab a rum and Coke or two. And by the time you're done, boy, that thing's going to make you a jillion dollars, uh, much like they do in government. Right. Um, and fund everything in sight. But the reality is what is really going to happen when cap rates normalize? You know, uh, we've got a project we're wrapping up right now that I'm looking at my underwriting from from two and a half years ago, right in the the thick of cheap money. Yeah. And I had it going out the door at a five, seven, five cap. I had a seven and a half percent finance rate on it going out the door and it still made money. And we could have made a lot more money. That's absolutely true. But the good news is we're still going to make money instead of if we had underwritten it the other way. And it was a good deal only at that point without much room for contingency. You know, this is a, this is a $80 million sale, Right. And so we're talking about, you know, we've got to build it at 64 million to make the profit margins we're trying to make. Well, if we hadn't underwritten it that way, we could have slid into the 68, 69 million, been okay with that and not made the profit margins we needed, right? So you really have to understand that a deal is a deal when there's history in it. When there's, you know, like, like you're, you're buying stuff right now, but you've been doing that for a while. So you know what it was like to buy something in 15, you know what it was like to buy something in 10, probably, you know, and in 2010, you were buying deals with no money in sight, right? Well, look at this 13 years later, you're an absolute genius for buying that deal, right? 
And, and you need to have that kind of lens with real estate because lately a lot of people have been day trading real estate. Oh, we're going to, we're going to get in and out of this deal in eight months and everybody's just going to make a pile of money, you know? And there was a lot of that that did happen. We had some exits that we had not planned, but the money was too good to pass up. Those are bonuses. You didn't right? go into it with that though. No, that's when you get burned. You play that game long enough, you get screwed. That's correct. But if you go into it with a, with a seven year window and in 22 months, somebody offers you 104% profit on your, on your equity investment, you pull that pin, right? <laughs> you pull that pin so fast and, and you, and you're happy about it, yeah. but you don't want to be going in there saying you're going to do a 30% return and have it be predicated on a three and a half cap that doesn't exist today with 4% lending that doesn't exist today. And now not only is all of your equity gone, but you've got to come up with more equity to save the deal. And that's really what we're seeing in the commercial space right now is people got overextended with short debt. Yeah. Now they're having to recapitalize. And in a lot of cases that is causing them to sell. And when you sell is when you recognize your profits or your, or, or, or your losses. And so they're having to recognize losses right now. We're looking at that going, hey, this is great. Solid business plan, 93%, 94% occupancy, you know, good market, great price for that market. And that's where, you know, the patience takes over. That's where looking at it and saying, man, I could have done this deal. I, I saw a deal very similar to this, and I'm not entirely sure that it wasn't this deal five years ago mm. in this same market. And I looked at it and said, you know what, that market just won't do those numbers with what I know could happen. And sure enough, here we are. It's the one case that I actually was right, right? But real estate's one of those things that you have to plan on being wrong several yeah. times. And I think it's the folks who don't, I think it's the ones who make the bad decisions after a couple of rum and cokes and they make numbers make sense. Right. And whether it's on a small scale with residential or small multifamily or whether it's on a large scale, they get burned. And so then people have this thought process that real estate is this risky asset. And at some point it's going to make you go bust. Well, I beg to differ because I believe if you go into these deals doing exactly what Shannon's talking about, where you just, it's actually not rocket science. You have to understand what you're doing. You need to know how to underwrite. You need to protect yourself, but we're not talking about like trigonometry here. We're talking about, hey, does this deal make sense? Is our right. debt safe? Are we being greedy? Or are we looking and saying, hey, you know, the cash flow's right, the equity's right, the debt's right, the cap, the cap rate's right, and then moving forward based on data. And if you right. do that, from my experience, and I'm just obviously yours too, because you just talked about it, you put yourself in a pretty darn good position to be successful in the long term. And you better go into this game with a long-term lens. Because that's what's going to build wealth in the long run anyway. You don't need to, to take your word day trade real estate. Although when those deals happen, they're fantastic. I got into an Airbnb deal and was on 30-year fixed debt, 10% down, just fantastic. Cash flow was almost a, a grand a month. It was a great deal. A guy called me literally, Shannon, I think it was 380 days after I'd owned it. So I've already, I'm out of the short-term capital gains. There you go. He calls me and offers me almost double what I paid for it. Now, I did not plan to do that, but it was like, yeah. But you don't own it anymore, do you? Where do I sign? No, 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 no. <laughs> I got rid of that puppy. Hey, so right. I was like, you know, right. there's some opportunity costs I'll miss in the long run. Absolutely. But I'm going to take my money. Nobody's ever going broke making a profit. So that's right. That's right. And, you know, that's the other thing. And I, you know, I got a story about a really good friend of mine and my father, right? Really good friend of mine buys a house at literally. 
probably a month before the 08 crash, right? $800,000 house, fantastic neighborhood, all the bells and whistles. That property goes down to about a $400,000 value in the bottom of the market, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got 23 houses for sale on his street. Take your pick of these McMansions. My dad comes into that neighborhood at that bottom and buys a very similar house for $423,000, right? Now, today, both of those houses are worth $1.6 million. Jeez. Both of those, right? So my dad timed it and got it right. My dad's been doing this for 70-some years, 60-some years of, of doing this, and he got one that he timed perfectly. Got right. in at the bottom, got out at the top, right? My buddy still owns that house. He, he long hauled that thing. There were years that he was paying on it going, I have got to see this from a long-term lens. But guess what? He's now sitting there at double his money with a paid for place. And so all the things have finally, quote unquote, finally aligned for him. But his is the real story of real estate. Mm. His is the one that people need to look at and go, you know, and if, and if that, Airbnb thing would have gone the way you wanted. You'd still own it now. It'd still be doing a grand a month. It'd still be okay. Even if that dropped down because now post COVID Airbnb numbers are down or whatever, you're, you're making 600 a month or 400 a month. You're still making money. Yeah. And I think that too often uh, people look at doing too much too soon. Uh, you know, you, you, you burr one great. It goes perfect. You burr two the next time, you know, we saw this in 08. Builders would build two, they'd both sell. They'd build four, they'd both sell. They'd build eight, they'd all sell. They'd build 16, eight would sell. They'd build 16 more. Now we have an oversupply in the market. Hmm. And that was part of what toppled us in 08. We yeah. don't have that problem now. Inventory is still very, very limited. Very. But yeah. at the end of the day, you still have to look at it. That what happens if my rent goes backwards a couple hundred a month? Am I living... So paycheck to paycheck that I can't afford that. If so, where's my reserve so that I don't go, you know, have to live on ramen while I make this thing work. And just like every market, you know, the stock market has the same reputation that you were talking about with people getting burned in real estate. Those people will run out of real estate this year. They will go get in the stock market this year. They will <laughs> fall off a cliff in two years and they just do this perpetual down trading of what they have and they will blame everybody but themselves mm for lack of true understanding about the asset you're investing in. Man, there's a whole lesson we could go into on blaming everybody but yourself. And then those same people get into crypto and NFTs. And <laughs> that's that's right. That's you can't right. leave those out. Those are you the know, best asset you can invest in because the government can't touch them. Yeah, you guys just right. Right. Well, you know, the other thing is, I mean, if I took my shirt off, you'd see all the bruises and scars from all of those times that I've done that. But I can tell you that the assets that I still own will always continue to be mine, right? Yeah. And that's the thing about your, that the people forget, right? So you go into this asset, you had fixed 30-year debt on your Airbnb, you had cash flow. You could take that a long way down and, and, and go the other direction. You could have a $1,500 swing and still be kind of okay. Yep. And then 10 years from now, be looking back at that asset that's now doubled and gone, you know what? It wasn't the best but it's now worth double what I paid for it. It's good. Yeah. Right. And if you're not at the plate, you can't take advantage of those home runs when, you know, homeboy calls you up and says, I, I, I want what you got. And you say at that price, you, you, you are now the proud new owner, sir. <laughs> yeah. Here is your new house. Well, that's the thing. Everybody. Oh, you got lucky. You got in at the right time. No, I just got in. Right. I it's got absolutely hundred percent. 
And whether it's tomorrow or whether it's 15 years from now, which I plan on, I don't plan on the quick wins. Did not plan on a quick market appreciation like we saw in 2021, 22. I had no thoughts of that happening. You get in, play the long term, and know that if you keep buying correctly, the right way, then there's a pretty darn good chance that your life's going to be changed financially on the back end. Picture this, you're ready to put an offer on the perfect investment property, but then you hit a wall, financing. Dealing with hard money lenders is the biggest headache us real estate investors have, and I thought that's just how hard money had to be until I met Backflip. Backflip is totally different. They're changing hard money by making loans actually stress-free. And I know this firsthand because I personally use them for my own deals. It's the perfect combo of tech and real people. Their free app makes everything more efficient and every loan is personalized to what matters to you, be it low interest, high leverage, or zero payments until you sell or refi. And while other lenders just write a check and forget about you, Backflip has been a true partner for my business. Call them anytime with any question. Even if you don't borrow for them, you can use their app to pull comps and estimate profits. Discover the backflip difference at backflip.mobi backslash finance cowboy pod. Well, you know, it's funny too, because here's another story from my father. We we looked up his the first house he and my mom bought, right? And they paid like, I don't know, like $28,000 or something. I said, dad, there's a zero missing. Nobody pays $28,000 for a house. And they bought it at like 14%, right? And if we just assumed, we, we made the assumption that they never, they never changed that interest rate. It was 14% forever, right? That house now is worth about 800 grand, Jeez. right? And they, they would have only paid on, on that $29,000 if they'd have ran it out the 30 years. They were only in it like 108 or 110000 even with all the interest, right? So, so it's one of those things that once you make the agreement and you're looking at the long-term lens, that's eight times your money. Now, granted, it's been 50 years, but- if I yeah, came do that 30 you, times, do that yeah, on 30 different properties. Yeah. But if I came to you and said, Hey, 50 years from now, I g- give me all your money now and every penny for the next 10 years. And in 50 years, I will give you back eight times your money. There is nobody that wouldn't take that deal. Right. Nobody. But everybody looks at real estate and goes, Oh my God, look at what this is selling for. I'm going to lose money. Well, the minute you step up to the, to the closing table, you, you are in fact solidifying whatever you're going to do on that property. Mm. That's good stuff. I think people, and I I speak on this a lot, so folks who listen to the show hear me say it, you have to remove emotion and replace it with logic. Now, we're emotional beings, so it's like you can't just wake up one day and say, oh, I have no emotion. But I think when you're making these decisions, especially financial decisions, it's all behavioral, whether we're talking about budgeting or whether we're talking about raising $450 million in real estate. It's all behavioral. And so we have to look and say, okay, just at, at the simplest form, if we're talking about real estate in general, the simplest form is pull up a graph. You can literally go to Google and type in real estate appreciation over the last 100 years and just look at what the graph does. It yep. goes up and to the right. Yep. And so that gives you a pretty darn good chance of being successful. If you can say, all right, let me zoom out. Stop looking one, two, three years down the road. Let me look 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Same right. goes true for rents. You mentioned right. earlier that when you saw your parents retire from cash flow, you were just like, this is 
this is amazing. I got to do this. I got to start changing my strategy to where I'm keeping things in my portfolio. A lot of people look at year one pro formas, which you should. You got to look at year one pro formas and they're like, oh, it's okay. You know, it gets pretty solid, yeah. but they, they fail to factor in, okay, if we hold this property for five years, seven years, 10, 15, what are we looking like now when it comes to cash flow increasing because rents have increased right. when it comes to tenant paying down debt? And I think when you get people who are new to investing, they miss out on, on understanding what the long-term effects of real estate are when it all starts to compound together. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my parents have seen, you know, they've seen their lifestyle remain the same, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they got involved and they had enough cash flow to cover their life uh, and everything was good and, and they had some savings and all that stuff. They had everything that they wanted, right? And then those rents kept going up three, four, five percent a year, right? Well, so is the cost of goods and services. Yeah. So they still have the same lifestyle and that's what real estate can provide you with, right? I mean, they've, they've, they've exhausted all their tax benefits, right? So they're kind of a little bit upset because their tax bill keeps going up, right? So now it's maybe time to reposition some things, get some more depreciation. Yeah. But at the end of the day, this is what they're able to do. This is what they've been able to create, you know? And it's, if, it's the same thing with your resume, you know? You're starting out with day one cash flow. You've got your first burr. Give me some pictures of that, right? Put that together. Give me a synopsis of what you did. And pretty soon that'll be number 39 on your list of things you did. And it works just like that. So now when you're wanting to talk to a partner and you want to talk to somebody that you want to deal with, you've done it a little step at a time. And now you're 40, 50, 60 units deep and your resume now speaks to your experience level. Yeah. This is gold, man. Gold, gold, gold. I absolutely love it. Whether you're executing what I do, which is the birth strategy on a small scale. You're having to raise money, right? Helping people get started on the front end, their, front end of their real estate journey. Or whether you're doing what you're doing, which is well advanced. You've built the resume. You're raising a lot of capital. You're doing these huge projects. You have to have capital for both of them. Right. And so in your experience, what has been the key, whether you were doing it for one flip or whether you're doing it today, what are some just broad generalities, if that's even a word, to being able to raise capital for projects? Well, the, the first thing is your reputation, right? And your experience and how you can convey that. We've gotten really good at painting this nice glossy picture, right? But if you were to take your resume and go look at the largest, uh, go look at Grant Cardone, right? I mean, he's probably one of the largest syndicators out there. He's got stuff all over the internet and you pull down one of his projects, right? And you look at his, his great glossy, uh, you know, pamphlet and everything that goes with that, replicate that, right? Mm. Literally replicate it, make yours look like that. And when they open it up and they go, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work for a single family, right? But they also understand that all the information that Grant has on his spreadsheet, you have on yours. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it that our spreadsheets may be a little bit more complicated as to how we get to that result, but we're looking at three things. We're looking at purchase price. We're looking at what we've got to put into it. Uh, four things, what the rents are and what we're, what we can exit at. What right? it's going to be worth. There's so debt mixed in there. You know, you're going with, uh, with, with a bank and one loan. We're maybe looking at some mes debt. We're looking at some more complicated things. None of that matters. You're looking at what does it cost me? What is my cash flow? What is my potential exit? And when you can boil that down and look at what others have done, this is the thing that is so amazing about social media, right? When I was coming up and 20 years old, they didn't have podcasts. They didn't have this kind of stuff. They didn't have the ability to get these things through. But when they were all done, 
And now here we are with everything that you see and everything that you can get across the finish line. You can now see that things have changed and it's made information so much more available that at the end of the day, it's easier now to get that information to make yourself look like everybody else and continue to build that resume so that what you're doing, what I'm doing, aren't any different than what the new guy can do with his first deal. Mm, love it. Guys and gals, write that down. Write the, the key points that that you just mentioned that I, I would take away if I was just starting is don't get too complicated when you go to present to try and get private money when you're raising capital. What's my purchase price? What do I got to put in it? What's the rent's going to be? And what's it going to be worth after? And if you can convey that and let those people know what their returns are going to be, you're going to give yourself a pretty good chance to raise that capital. Especially when you could show, hey, I've done this before with my money, right? And this is yep. how I learned this. And this is my resume. Those are the kind of things that are going to show. Yeah, good stuff. So we were talking offline, really excited about the industrial market right now with inflation and the industrial buildings that you guys are working on. What's that look like? Why are you fired up about it? Um, tell me about it. How'd you get into it? Well, you know, that was kind of the main asset class that my father used, right, to build his wealth. And the reality is industrial is a triple net product. So what that means is the tenant enters into a long-term lease. And when you do that, you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, what is the insurance going to be in three years? So you do that as a triple net. So the tenant reimburses you for all of those costs. So when your insurance goes up, that's a cost to the tenant. When the property taxes go up, that's a cost to the tenant. So when you're dealing with inflationary environments like what we have now, where those, those items are screaming upward, that all becomes a tenant cost and it's able to be passed through. So your rent is your profit. You can look at that and say, I have a fixed note. I have this much in rent. I may have some collections. I may have some late fees. I may have a few minor things like that, but I can really count on that being my profit. Yeah. And with what happened during COVID, we've got an onshoring of a lot of businesses. But, you know, here's another fact is that 60% of, of businesses done in the United States is conducted by small business. We're talking about the guy that tints windows, the guy that does uh, sprinkler repair, the guy that builds cabinets or is a welder, or the gymnastics facility. All of those are small businesses that need these small business spaces to work out of. And so if you're involved in a flex space type deal, you might have a 20,000 square foot building, but you got 10 tenants. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you've got some diversity there. You've got some things that can that can that people move in and out. But there's not a lot of uh, a lot of really big improvements that need to be done, all those kinds of things. And so they're very, very versatile, but they're also like an ATM. I mean, I think, think they're like the bond of real estate because they're stable. <laughs> They're secure. They don't go up in value very fast. They definitely don't go down in value very fast. They're just really, really strong for cash flow. I don't know one old timer who's been in real estate for a long time who does not own industrial right. real estate. They all do. And they yeah. I've never heard it said like you said it, where it was the bond. I love that. Yeah. The bond real estate. But it's they all are saying that in their own former fashion. Like, yeah, it's not sexy, but it is stable and it's reliable. And like you said, you're covering your mortgage. I mean, Absolutely. everything else is covered by the tenant. That's crazy. And no other real estate does that happen. I mean, you look at Airbnb. You're covering, gosh, all kinds of stuff. Multifamily. I mean, single family, you still got taxes and insurance and all kinds of stuff. So um, that's really cool. And I know a lot of folks who have uh, pivoted to that space as of late who did not have that in their portfolio recently. And um, those guys are really good investors. So it doesn't surprise me that yeah. they've, they've made that jump. So Shannon, yeah. man, I want to thank you so much for being on. This was um, unbelievably valuable to me. I learned a ton. 
and I know our listeners are going to love it. Where can everybody find you? We're going to get a hold of Shannon Robnett if they want to. Well, the easiest place to do that is just at shannonrobnet.com. Uh, you can find all my social media channels there. You can actually uh, see job site cameras of what we got going on right now. Uh, you can grab a link to my calendar. I'd love to take a couple minutes and chat with you, kind of see what I could do to help you on your real estate journey. But that's all just at shannonrobnet.com. Awesome. Guys, we'll put the link to shannonrobnet.com and his social medias in the show notes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Shannon, thanks for being on today. Hey, thank you, sir, for having me.